Chapter 4 The fire in the brazier had barely burned down when a slight change in temperature made Tony's eyes snap open, a cool breeze touching the back of his neck. A warning prickled up his spine. He kept his breathing slow and steady, muscles relaxed. Very, very faintly, something scuffed against the floor, and the shadows on the back wall shifted unnaturally. Under the fire, the air smelled like snow and horse sweat. Steve's arm around his shoulders shifted slightly. When Tony glanced up, he saw the firelight reflected in the faintest of cracks in Steve's eyelids. Hear that? Tony mouthed against Steve's skin, not even breathing the words aloud. In answer, Steve's arm flexed ever so slightly. On three. One. Two. Tony took a slow breath, listening to the room, feeling out the silences. There was a pause, expectant. Three! Before the word was fully past his lips, Tony rolled out of the bed and dropped to the floor. As he had expected, Steve leapt over him, tackling the person who'd crept up on them. Another one burst in through the door, meeting a blast of Tony's mage fire head-on. They flew back, slamming into the person behind them and sending them rolling. Tony fumbled for the belt he'd discarded with his clothes, unhooking his miniature crossbow from his holster and cocking it open with a quick press of a lever. The arms sprang apart, a bolt of magic dropping into position just in time as two more people pushed into the room. Without time to aim properly, he managed to shoot one in the shoulder with the first shot, but the second missed when the target ducked. The bolt shattered against the flat ceiling as Tony found himself wrestled to the ground. He twisted, putting his knot and considerable strength behind it, but the black-clad woman slithered like an oiled snake. Something metal snapped around his wrist with a harsh click. Acid scorched the back of Tony's throat. The constant pulse of magic through the world under his feet, the touch that had been there since he'd been born, vanished in an eye blink. Balance tilted sideways as the world shook under him. Can't feel it, gone empty, can't feel it! Tony! A cold breath of metal touched his other wrist, and he yanked instinctively away, clawing at his attacker. She cried out, four lines of blood appearing on her raised forearm. For a breath, Tony blinked down at his changed fingers, watching as they slid back into human bluntness. Then she attacked again. Tony ducked, landing a blow in her sternum that sent her crashing back into the table. Two more women had set on Steve while Tony was distracted. They moved like lightning, like dragons. For all the finesse Steve had shown against Naya, he was barely keeping up with them. Forcing his unsteady knees into action, Tony threw himself at the nearest and dragged her down. It wasn't the most graceful of moves, but it worked. He wrapped his arms and legs around her and concentrated on clinging, one hand covering her mouth and nose. While she struggled to free herself, Steve finished off his other opponent with a kick to the temple. A blow in the same place took out Tony's captive, knocking her limp. One of Steve's big hands wrapped around Tony's elbow and hauled him to his feet. We have to go. There'll be two more around here somewhere. Tony looked around at the wrecked cabin and the five fallen women. They were all dressed in black from head to toe, even their hair tucked up under a black hood. The only color anywhere on them was a silver patch sewn over the hearts and sleeves, an eagle rampant. What the hell are they? Shield maidens. Steve bent to pick up his clothing, shrugging it on at speed. They work for the Maria's hand. If they attacked us, it's because she ordered it. Wonderful. Why would the Maria attack you? 
Following Steve's example, Tony dug out his trousers and started putting them on. Steve's eyes slid away, casually focusing on his belt buckle rather than Tony. Who knows? Politics, maybe. Vita Hill is sick with them. Tony's eyes narrowed at Steve. There's something more there. But they didn't have time for questions. It would have to come later, when there weren't two more assassins out there looking to kill them. He finished tugging on his pants and boots, taking no care for their order. Steve's shirt looked terrible, but his own was still soiled, so he just stuffed it in the pack. When he touched his armor, it felt dead under his fingertips. There was none of the welcoming warmth, no life to it, just metal, cold and brutal. On his wrist, the cuff gleamed silver, with no viable clasp or lock. It was as if it had just been welded onto him. His gorge rose at the lacking, the utter deadness of the world. For a moment, while he'd been fighting, he'd forgotten, but it came back to him in a sharp wave of loss. "'What did they do to me?' he whispered, sliding into his native tongue out of distress. "'What?' Steve's blue eyes lifted to his, dark with worry and Tony shrugged off the nagging sense of everything that was wrong in the world. Later, we have to get to the bay as quickly as possible. He left the armor inside his bag and instead pulled out his warm fur cloak. It was dark, bearskin, cut from one of his own hunting trips with Rhodey, and would do to hide them as they sneaked away. Ready? To desert? As I'll ever be. Steve's face twisted into a frown, but he grabbed up his shield and led the way out through the door. Tony followed without looking back. Almost as soon as they had gotten away from the cabin, a light flashed in their direction. It lasted just long enough for Tony to make out the face of the soldier who had met them at the gate, and then it vanished again. Steve held out his arm to stop Tony from moving, but it was unnecessary. He crouched low and waited, hand on his dagger, as the soldier skulked up to them, staying low and darting from shadow to shadow. If it hadn't been for the initial signal— Tony might not have even seen her until she was upon them. Carol, Steve hissed, kneeling down so they didn't make a silhouette against the stars. What? She held up a hand to his mouth, breaking what Tony suspected were a thousand rules of discipline and etiquette. No time. Lady Victoria is here, with her third seven. I told you you'd return to your cabin, but I didn't mention your... guest. I tried to get away to warn you, but she kept me occupied fixing a place for them and then slipped away. We took care of them, Tony assured her. Cold was digging into his knees, the earth strange and unfriendly, as snow soaked through his trousers. It was hard to tell in the dark, but he thought she flashed a quick smile his direction. I thought you might have. Just here. A small bag was shoved into his hands. We did a whip around for what wouldn't be missed. Journey food, some money, a few tools you might need. It's not much, but hopefully it'll help. We'll do our best to slow them down from following— or getting word back to Vita Hill. Steve stared down at the bag as if it were a trick of some sort. You realize they're not going to be fooled. You'll all suffer for this. Carol shrugged. You've been a good legati. You looked after us. Now we look after you. Shield cover you. Her fist touched her armored chest in an echo of a salute, and then she scrambled back into the shadows and was gone. The bag of supplies went into Steve's pack without being checked and they returned to slipping between cabins. A flare of light from a bonfire in the west suggested that something was going on, but otherwise the camp was dead quiet. They didn't encounter anyone else until they reached the gate, which was as fully guarded as ever. Even there, the soldiers on duty didn't say anything, didn't look at them as they passed. 
Even Tony could read their body language. You weren't here. I didn't see you. And then there was only the open night and the burn of the dragon's campfires to the north. Tony eyed it thoughtfully, then looked over at Steve. He could be sure a few people would be willing to help them out, but memory of Naya's body left to freeze in the mountain pass made him hold his tongue. He couldn't risk one of his friends being attacked. They made their way east over the last low, rounded remnant of the foothills. According to the stars, it was only a few hours to dawn, so they made the most of it. Silence wrapped around them like a shroud as they traveled, only grunts or the occasional warning about poor terrain breaking it. Not even birds or crickets made any noise. They generally didn't when there was a dragon in the area, and regardless of Tony's deficiencies, he still smelled like a dragon. That suited Tony's mood fine for the first two miles, but by the third it started hurting. There was no distraction to keep him from thinking about how hobbled he felt, nothing to block the sensation that he was walking through a graveyard. Yanking at the cuff did no good. It fit close to the skin, with just room to twist about freely. Short of cutting off his thumb, it wasn't going to come off. When dawn finally started turning the eastern sky pink, foothills had turned to plains, and then again to sparse woods, leaving the sunlight to peek through branches laden with dying leaves. More leaves lined the floor, then on the ground and rimmed with ice. Most of the snow had been caught by the branches overhead. Tony had rubbed a raw spot against the base of his palm from tugging at the shackle, and his heart had settled somewhere near his stomach in the form of a rock. His thighs and calves ached from the unaccustomed walking, but not nearly so much as his soul. Steve paused by a pine tree, looking up as if he could estimate their position without the stars. We should stop and rest, he finally said, the only words from him in an hour. If they're looking for us, now will be the best time for them. If they're looking, you say. Tony found a log that looked only a little rotten. He gave it a good kick, and, when nothing came crawling out other than a few bugs, took a seat. From the sound of it, someone wants you dead as much as someone wants me the same. I don't think they'll stop just because you got away. The Maria's hand never stops. She just pauses to regroup. Steve took a seat at the other end of Tony's log and dug out the bag they'd been given to root through that, on inspection, were filled with some sort of pugnant cheese and ham. Tony gnawed on the crust of the roll half-heartedly, realizing that he needed to eat, but not necessarily hungry. So, soldier, care to speculate why your ruler would send someone to kill you? If the shield maidens had orders to kill me, they'd just have blocked the exits and set the cabin on fire, Steve said, far too calmly for someone talking about his own possible grisly murder. I was supposed to arrive at Vita Hill a few days ago, with the rest of the Legion. The Maria probably sent them to find me. And why would that be? Tony dug, not willing to let it go. Soldiers can go on leave, can't they? Especially in the Winter Treaty. Like before, Steve's eyes shifted away. This time Tony retaliated by snapping his foot out to kick Steve's thigh. Oh no, you're traveling with me. I deserve to know why someone might be after you. It's my wrist, too. You're not going to like it. I like being ambushed in the middle of the night even less. The muscles in Steve's jaw tightened, like he might hold out, but then his shoulders slumped slightly. Tony had just enough time to pat himself on the back for reading that much when Steve said, I think my friend is the one who poisoned your king. Dead. Utter silence as Tony tried to process that. Steve still wasn't meeting his eyes holding his head down and his shoulders hunched in a way that couldn't have been more clear if he had wings. 
Finally, Tony took a long, slow breath that seemed too loud in the quiet. Why? Politics, what else? Steve fiddled with the canvas sack that had held the rolls. The Maria hates dragons. Hates them. Not like a ruler at war hates their enemy. It's personal for her. No one knows why. She won't back down from the war, and everyone knows it's getting expensive. It's been a holding pattern for years, fighting back and forth over the same strip of land. Rumors say that no one in court has the stomach for it anymore, but no one can go against the Maria. Tony nodded. He knew exactly what that was like. Dragons who had challenged his father tended to never fly again. It didn't surprise him the humans were the same. And you think she sent your friend? He's good at that sort of thing. I followed them north, towards the nests, but I lost track of them. They couldn't have made it, Tony said with certainty. Not on foot, not at this time of year, not without. Suddenly, cold dropped to the bottom of Tony's stomach, joining the nausea from having his magic locked away. Naya, young and stupid, and too eager to make her mark, flashed behind his eyes. Not without a dragon. At first, Steve wasn't sure he'd heard Tony right. He twisted his head around and stared, shame at his people's machinations falling temporarily by the wayside. That can't be right. A dragon wouldn't kill their king, would they? Why not? Humans do it all the time. Maybe not your kingdoms, but I hear in the Icelands they practically make it a tradition. Every line of Tony's body was still. Even his eyes stayed locked on some point in midair. Steve couldn't have even sworn he was breathing. But killing the king is the best way to expand the war past the borders. We'd never let it go. Why take that sort of risk? Maybe the Maria thinks that the prince would be easier to win the war against? Even as he said it, Steve realized how badly that worked out. No, even if the new king is inexperienced and young, they're still dragons. A few flights of them could quash Vita Hill just by landing on it. Something startled Tony out of his daze. He shook himself like a bird being rid of grain. Dry leaves crunched under his feet as he stood and started to pace, kicking leaves out of the way as he did so. He rubbed absently at a silver bracelet on his right wrist, twisting it around. It wouldn't be the prince. As soon as m as the king died, someone would challenge the prince for the throne, and then another challenge, and another. There'd be a decade of fighting before anything was decided, maybe more. It was too easy to see why the Maria would want that. Dragons fighting amongst themselves was better than if they'd conceded the war. Someone thinks they'll come out on top, then. And they're willing to work with the Maria to do it. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Tony whipped around, his fur cape flaring dramatically as, as he fell to his knees and started digging through his bag. We need to hurry. If this is what it seems, both our nations are in danger. Where is it? Where is it? What are you looking for? Curiosity getting the better of him. Steve abandoned his seat and crouched down next to the increasingly frantic dragon. If we're going to hurry, shouldn't you put on your armor? Tony didn't stop digging through his bag, taking out things and spreading them on the ground. In addition to his armor, there was a hammer, a measuring stick that folded up, some sort of tool with a strange cross end, and a small collection of the usual traveling things, such as bread and fishing line. Whatever he was looking for wasn't there, though, and he emptied the bag with a growl. I need a chisel. One of those maidens put some sort of, of lock on me. The armor won't fly until I get it off. He held out his right wrist, where the silver band he'd been fiddling with gleamed evilly. Steve cursed and grabbed Tony's arm, pushing the sleeve up to expose the whole thing. 
It was exactly as he'd feared. The shackle had no writing, no spells or places of weakness. Those were for items of magic, and it was the exact opposite. I recognize this. It's fairy silver. They use it in the jails when they need to hold a magic user. You won't be able to get it off with a chisel. I don't think you could get it off if you took off your hand. Disgust and rage made an interesting mix on Tony's face. So we have to walk because I was dumb enough to let someone trap me. He looked so close to transforming and eating the messenger that Steve shifted his grip, sliding it down to hold Tony's hand instead of his arm. They were strong hands, firm in his even when Tony wasn't paying attention. If he hadn't known Tony was a monster, Steve might have mistaken him for a human. Steve was inexplicably struck with the memory of how those hands had felt on him, in him, followed by a vivid daydream of how they'd look braced on the forest floor. Before distraction could get the better of him, he hurried to say, It doesn't affect natural abilities, just change into a dragon. It would be faster anyway, and Steve had a feeling he'd be less likely to lose his stomach if Tony were larger. The hand in Steve's flexed, blunt fingertips digging into his knuckles as Tony sagged sideways. His hair tickled the side of Steve's neck when Tony rested his head on his shoulder. The rough linen of his borrowed tunic caught on Steve's mail, threatening to rip a hole in it if they parted too quickly. I can't. What? Steve blinked in confusion, but let himself be used as a pillow. He rubbed a gentle circle between Tony's shoulder blades, drawing his fingers along the sharp ridges of bone. What do you mean you can't? You're a dragon, aren't you? Of course I'm a dragon! As suddenly as he'd taken Steve's shoulder as a pillow, Tony yanked upright, glaring as if Steve had done him a personal insult. I am! It's just... complicated. How can he be a dragon if he can't change? The rage asked, and the question hovered on his lips, begging to be said. Old familiar fury curled along Steve's heart, temper threatening to flare, anger that Tony had let him think he was a dragon, that he'd kept it secret. They'd put their lives in each other's hands, and Tony hadn't even been honest about his species. When Steve didn't respond immediately, Tony's lip curled into a snarl. Go on, say it, he dared in a low growl. You won't be the first, even the king said it. Something in Steve broke, draining the anger out until he felt oddly hollow. He'd seen Tony's expression before, back ten years earlier, when the taunting got to be too much and the fights would start. Soldier? You're not a soldier. You're dragon bait. I bet my grandmother could beat you in a fight. What are you going to do? Stick in their teeth and make a cavity? Memories tightened knots in his throat, clenching his fists until the knuckles ached. Deliberately, Steve looked down and started scooping things back into the travel sack. King or not, that doesn't sound like company I care to keep, he said levelly. A long waiting silence. Steve didn't look up at Tony's expression as he sorted and repacked the things, giving him that much privacy. Finally a long sigh, a breath released after being held too long. Tony's hand joined his, taking care of the last few things. I, well, it's going to be a problem. I can't change and I can't fly. So either we get this thing off of me, or we're walking to the bay. Unsaid were the words, which would take weeks. They didn't need to be said to be heard. Steve placed the last bit of the strange, plate-shaped bread on top of the pack and flipped it shut before looking up. Can I see the shackle again? Tony's eyes were suspiciously red around the edges, but otherwise he looked composed. Without hesitation, he gave Steve his right wrist. Gently, Steve turned the cuff around looking for any sort of identifying mark. 
anything that might make it different. There wasn't anything, though, not even any scratches. Most relieving, it didn't have the sign of the shield or the eagle. This looks like a standard one that the watch uses. You can find them in any goal, and watchmen carry them almost everywhere. So? Tony gave his wrist a slight tug, but Steve kept hold of it. The skin on the very inside of his forearm was soft and smooth, and judging by the way Tony shivered when Steve's thumb stroked it, sensitive. So, Steve repeated, tracing his thumb along the edge of the shackle just to see Tony's eyelashes flutter. If watchmen have the lock, they probably also have the key. A pause, then a smile crept across Tony's face. I could kiss you. I'll hold you to that later. Steve squeezed Tony's hand, and then stood and used it to haul him to his feet. First, we need to find a town. You lost him? The Maria's hands tightened around the silver frame of her mirror. How could you lose him from his own garrison? Lady Victoria, currently her hand, looked up from the silvered glass, expression unreadable. Dark purple mottled her temple and down her jaw, signs of the thumping Legatai Stephen had given her. He had a dragon with him, lady. We were unprepared. Throwing the mirror wouldn't solve anything, but the temptation was as great as it had ever been. She forced herself to breathe calmly, to feel the presence of the shield at her back. Problems did not solve themselves when they were confronted with anger. That was the dragon's purview, and anything they took as a virtue she could only name a vice. You're certain it was a dragon? The Maria finally said after a long pause. Could it not have been another soldier? Perhaps one like the Legati? Victoria shook her head, a strand from her deep auburn forelock falling out of her snood and into her eyes. No, ma'am. Mockingbird has claw marks on her arm, and neither were armed with a weapon that could have produced such damage. It can only have been a dragon. This time the Maria didn't hold herself back from loudly wishing the sword to fall on the head of every dragon alive. After hearing reports from the heart of the nest, she had no doubt that someone was working diligently to destroy her plans, but Legate Stephen had been the last person she thought would work with a dragon. Her hand waited patiently for the Maria to stop cursing before saying, All may not be lost. Bluebird heard the dragon say something about going to the bay. I believe it may have been referring to the Bay of Silks. Sitting back in her chair, the Maria nodded. Unfortunately for her hand, that wasn't news, but the reminder had a cooling effect on her temper. Yes. Yes, that would make sense. My sources suggest the same, but confirmation is never unwelcome. Thank you, Lady Victoria. The vision in the mirror wavered, and then Victoria's face appeared closer, her head lowered for secrecy. The first of the seven is in that area, my lady. If you... The first of seven, the most elite of the shield maidens. That was an interesting idea. I think there may be an unexpected wisdom in your words. Thank you, my hands. Lady Victoria bowed her head, but not before the Maria caught sight of her proud smile. I live to serve you, my lady. What they found wasn't much of a town. It was one of those transitory places, occupied mostly by a migratory populace of loggers in summer and trappers in winter. The handful of residents that were there year-round either worked at the inn or one of the supply shops, or as entertainment for weary travelers looking to have some of their stress lifted away. Buildings were nearly as simple as the not-quite-temporary encampments that sprang up when the garrison had to move at the border, only a few of them having been finished to any detail. 
They had the ceramic roofing tiles that everywhere did, since flames and ice from above were one of the favorite ways dragons had to attack buildings. Steve dragged Tony down the single dirt road that carved through the center of the town, hands in front of him and a collar around his neck attached to a leather leash. They'd cobbled together some loose shackles from the ends and pieces in Tony's things, topping it off with a gag made out of the bottom hem of Tony's borrowed tunic. A close inspection would show anyone with sense that the prisoner would be able to pull free with a hard enough tug, but it was enough to fool a casual inspection. They'd polished Steve's armor so it hadn't been so obviously thrown on in the middle of the night, and for good measure he was wearing his helmet. People stopped and stared as he pulled Tony past, parents calling their little ones against them and pointing out what happened to naughty children who didn't obey. A few of the smarter ones hissed dragon spy, but most of them didn't recognize Tony's clothing well enough to make that leap. Being exposed made the hair on the back of Steve's neck stand up. He was betting that news of his desertion hadn't reached such a backwater place, but it was an expensive bet. If someone had used magic to send a message, news could have gotten to every corner of the hills before they'd stop for breakfast. But if they waited, or tried somewhere larger, the odds would only get worse. Fortunately for Steve's nerves, a watchman met them before they even reached the town square, and the plain leather armor and helmet that was probably all a man needed in such a small place. He was a big, broad-shouldered black man with a no-nonsense expression that, under ordinary circumstances, Steve might have liked immediately. Legati, he said warily, stopping a good six feet away from Steve and Tony. We don't get many army men out here. I expect you don't. I'm Steve, Legate of the Fourth Legion in the Maria's army. Steve wrapped Tony's leash around his hand and pretended to hold the back of the collar. Tony made a token effort at twisting away snarling something that sounded vicious behind his gag. The effort rebounded him back into Steve's body, almost certainly unintentionally rubbing his backside into Steve's groin. The watchman eyed them suspiciously, but nodded slowly. He was even taller than Steve by a few inches, and loaded with just as much muscle. The name's Luke, captain of the local watch. What can I help you with, Legati? You're a long way from the front. I was visiting a friend, and I stumbled on this spy on my way back. With a shove, he pushed Tony forward, making him stumble. He's working for the dragons, and I need to take him to Vita Hill for the Maria's judgment. Luke's expression of faint suspicion didn't waver. He hooked his thumbs in his belt and rocked back on his heels. Looks like you've got everything well enough in hand, don't you? Steve shrugged, fighting to keep his face from giving him away. He'd never been a good liar, but leading a legion had given him a decent blank expression. Not quite. I need supplies. Obviously, I don't want to drag him through your market, but he's got some sort of magic trick he does with locks, so I can't leave him tied up. The captain's eyes slid from Steve to Tony, and then around to the bystanders that were lingering close enough to hear. Finally, he nodded grudgingly. You can dump him in one of the cells. Come on, this way. Obediently, Steve followed the captain around to a small building on the far edge of the town. It was one of the few made out of stone, with metal reinforcements on the doors and windows. There were only four cells, three of them empty. The full one had a man passed out across a mattress on the floor, the reek of wine so strong that Steve could smell it from the doorway. A couple other watchmen were on duty, playing a game of dice. When the captain walked in, they leapt to their feet. One of them knocked the dice off the table to bounce onto the floor, while the other scraped the tokens off. Luke looked at one, then the other, and shook his head. Yeah, I thought so. He reached up on the wall and unhooked a key. Danny, get the Legati a better set of chains. 
that said he's using looks like it's nearly rust. Colleen, a mage lock for a spy here. As the captain opened one of the cells, Tony put on a show of struggling that was a little too enthusiastic. He wrestled with Steve, twisting and pulling with enough force that it made it hard to keep hold of him. This was just what they didn't need, a successful escape. Steve ended up grabbing his collar and twisting to pin Tony to one of the stone walls, knee between his thighs and arm stretched overhead. That's enough! He snarled in Tony's face. Tony's lip curled. I'm not going in there, human. Sure you're not, spy. Helpfully, the watchman that the captain had called Danny appeared with the promised set of chains. The twisting and wiggling started up again. They fumbled around, fighting to keep a hold on Tony, who'd already managed to snap one of his fake cuffs off in his enthusiasm. Luke joined the party, and only Tony dropping between their legs and squirming out kept the mess from getting any bigger. Over towards the back, the one named Colleen had another set of keys and was opening a drawer. Steve saw the glint of the silver out of the corner of his eyes, just as Luke wrapped a massive arm around Tony's chest and lifted him clean off his feet. Danny was reaching for Tony's wrists, manacles open. Steve's elbow slammed into Danny's jaw, knocking him backwards and knocking his leather helm askew. He cursed and staggered, just on time for another blow to catch him on the temple and drop him to the floor. Colleen let out a loud yell, leaping over the desk, and Luke turned. "'Sorry about this,' Steve grunted, landing a solid blow in the captain's stomach. Tony twisted around in his loosened grip, dropping to the floor. He hooked a hand around one of Luke's knees and yanked, sending the big man to the floor. His head cracked on the stone, dazing him. Grabbing up the shackles, Steve slid them across to Tony and then turned to catch Colleen's fist on his cheek. He blocked the next blow and caught her third, using it as a lever to flip her onto her back and pin her with her arms behind her back. She squirmed and cursed, but he weighed too much for her to get free easily. Another set of shackles appeared over Steve's shoulder, backed up by Tony's grin. Need these? Thanks. Locking up the watchwoman, he dragged her over to her captain and hooked them together back to back, while Tony dug through the unlocked drawer. The unconscious one was showing signs of waking, so Steve dragged him over too. They didn't look to be another set of shackles, so he used what was left of Tony's fake ones to tie him in. They'd break, but he wasn't interested in keeping long-term prisoners anyway. Luke blinked blearily at them, eyes not quite focused. "'You're not a legati,' he groaned, sagging forward. I am, but it's complicated. Steve checked the captain's eyes, slightly concussed, but he'd probably be fine with ten minutes and a healer. Guilt was an odd tug at his heart. This was the second set of humans he'd fought that day in order to aid a dragon. At least the shield maidens had attacked him first. Luke hadn't done anything to deserve it. Sorry we had to fool you. You'll be grateful when you send in your report. Behind the desk, Tony made a disgusted noise. What am I looking for here? He asked no one in particular, and held up an inkwell that had been spelled never to spill. Human magic doesn't make sense. How do you not blow yourselves up every time you wash a plate? We manage. Steve double-checked the bindings, then went to help Tony look. The inactivated mage locks were simple strips of silver, meant to wrap around a wrist and flex into it. He dug through the drawer, shifting things aside until we find the little gold cutters. These. Gold? To unlock silver? Tony's nose wrinkled in academic disgust. Who had that idea? How would I know? I'm not a mage. Taking Tony's wrists before there could be any objections, Steve snipped the band off. It sprung open back to its original shape, none the worse for having been used. There. Better? A tremor ran through Tony's frame, as if he'd suddenly been struck by a cold wind. 
Unfocused blue eyes stared straight through Steve, blinking slowly. Yeah, he breathed. Much better, much better, thanks. Just in case, Steve pocketed the cutters and a few spare bands, putting a few coins down to pay for the loss. We should get out of here. That's it? Luke had twisted his neck around to watch them, baffled fury written across his face. Next to him, Colleen was working at the manacles, trying to work her wrist free without much success. You tie us up and make off with that? You could have just asked. By the door, Tony waited impatiently, arms crossed. Steve shook his head and picked up the packs he'd dropped in the fight and joined him. No, we couldn't. Trust me on that. Mostly the street was empty, but they still made a point of slipping out and around back with as little fuss as possible. As someone got the bright idea to check at the watch house for the latest gossip and found the guards, Steve didn't doubt that Luke and his people would be happy to track them down for a little legal revenge. They stayed to the shadows until they reached the side of the building that was closest to the forest line, and then made a break for it. In spite of being shorter, Tony kept up with Steve neatly, running low and light like a greyhound on the track. They passed the tree line without anyone sounding an alarm, but didn't stop running until the town was well behind them. Steve's legs ached, but Tony nearly collapsed against a tree, panting. "'I'm never making fun of Rody again. I'm never making fun of Rody again.' he groaned, bending over with his arms braced on his knees. Not used to so much work? Smug probably wasn't one of his better qualities, but Steve couldn't help but smirk a little. The dragon looked good, whitely sheened with sweat, and still wearing the makeshift collar. As competent as he'd been at everything else, Steve had been starting to feel more than a little redundant. I'm a mage. We're not exactly expected to fly laps every day. Slowly, like a tree collapsing into thick underbrush, Tony slid down to the forest floor. Here, there were less leaves, signs that people spent enough time in the area to clear them out. It left Tony plenty of room to stretch out, his fine, if oddly styled clothing getting smudged with dirt. Hand me my armor. There's enough of the day left that we can still make decent time. Dutifully, Steve tossed over the bag with the armor, and was surprised when Tony actually managed to catch it. He reached inside and took out one of the forearm plates, turning it over in his hands before putting it on. His sigh was nearly orgasmic as he pulled out more pieces. Great mother, it feels good to have this back. Thanks. Don't mention it. Steve eyed the sun. They'd taken the entire morning finding a town to raid, and his stomach was starting to feel the pinch of a long day of walking. A little digging through the other pack unearthed the last of the rolls Carol had packed them. He took two for himself, and then tossed the bag to Tony who caught it as neatly as he had his armor. Eat up. If we don't have to, let's not stop until dark. Tony grinned and held up a roll and toast. Sounds good to me. They flew all day, even past sundown, until Steve's hand cramped from gripping the armor, and Tony's magic was too weak to lift them higher than it took to clear the treetops. Steve was surprised to find that it wasn't an unpleasant method of travel, without the cold mountain wind to buffet them around or numb his limbs. Odd, definitely, and not necessarily comfortable, but flying clearly had benefits beyond miles covered. Which wasn't to say that speed was not a factor. In the single half-day of travel, they covered as much ground as might have taken a week on foot. Steve estimated seventy miles, and Tony's figures came closer to a hundred, taking in hills and poor terrain. By the time they set down, thin forests had turned to thick pine, and they were nearly to the river that divided the land of the hills down its center. Two more days, Steve estimated. Tony traveled about twice as fast as a horse, and bypassed the obvious ground obstacles, 
which saved a surprising amount of time. His fingers traced their path along a map he'd found in the gift pack from his legion. Light from the campfire Tony had used magic to start lit the page better than he could have hoped, though the too rosy color was off-putting for a man used to more organic sources of illumination. Being able to travel straight through is a blessing. Even at this speed, following the road would take another day's time. Roads are overrated. I don't know why humans bother with them. Tony had practically collapsed atop a makeshift pallet formed out of his fur cape. He didn't seem to mind getting the bare skin dirty, though Steve thought that a skin that large and full was probably worth a small fortune in any size of market. His boots had been peeled off and were lying with their packs, but once again he'd kept his shirt on. Steve let his eyes slide over Tony's prone form, then back to the map to double-check their distances. We don't have wings, that's why. A snort was the only answer he got. For a man, dragon, with roughly the same physical limitations as Steve, Tony had a remarkable disdain for the things humans used to make up for it, like roads and maps. Apparently dragons navigated through some sort of instinct that Tony couldn't explain without slipping first into that strange, musical language, then farther down into using terms that didn't seem to have any correlation to words Steve knew. Even Steve's armor, when he'd removed the top layer, had been worthy of derision, though he'd at least grudgingly admitted that the scales weren't too much ideas stolen from dragons. It was hard, sometimes, to think of Tony as anything other than a human. He was so obviously a person, with a personality and opinions and feelings just like any other. Steve had spent his life thinking of dragons as essentially beasts, smart enough to go to war, to have a king that could negotiate a treaty, but not much else. Finding out that they weren't the monsters he'd been raised to believe in made the war even more nonsensical. Uncomfortably aware that his thoughts had already passed from treason into near blasphemy, Steve lifted the map and tapped a spot to drag the conversation back on track. If we stop by the falls tomorrow night, we'll be able to get to the bay before sunset the next day. It'll take a long day of flying, though. Do you think you can do it? One of Tony's eyes opened, gleaming in the firelight. He stretched out, slowly, shoulders rolling back as he braced himself upright. Two days of beard left his jaw in shadow, hiding the sharp cut of bone underneath the skin. I think so, as long as we're not attacked again. Automatically, Steve touched his forehead. Don't tempt the gods. They're already playing enough games with us. I'd rather tempt you. Steve's eyes cut across the fire. Exhaustion dragged at his bones. But the look in Tony's eyes made that suddenly easy to ignore. Deliberately, he let his gaze slide down the stretch of Tony's neck to the hidden curve of the muscular shoulders. He could easily imagine how they'd look bare. From the brief flashes of them he'd gotten when Tony had changed shirts. Lower to the spread thighs that weren't at all hidden by leather trousers, and bare feet braced against dark fur. "'You're doing a good job of it,' Steve admitted. He wondered if it was sick to want a dragon, though Maria would certainly think it was. Tony patted the fur beside him. "'Come over here. You'll get cold if you sleep alone anyway. Humans are so fragile.' "'And you're so tough, huh?' But Steve obediently rolled up the map and tucked it back into its oilcloth tube, before stepping around the fire. Instead of at Tony's side, though, he crawled onto his lap, straddling his hips with a kiss. I don't remember you being so forward last night. Warm, callous hands settled at his waist, already sliding up under his undertunic. Tony's lips tasted like metal from the helmet, a sharp, bitter flavor that lingered after the kiss broke. Maybe I've just had time to get used to the idea of sex with a human. Humming, Steve nuzzled a kiss to the line of Tony's jaw, feeling the scratch of stubble on his skin. 
I wouldn't think dragons would be interested in sex in human form, he muttered, nipping the spot over the pulse. The long, slightly embarrassed silence that followed Steve's comment made him pull back. In the oddly colored firelight, it was hard to tell, but he thought Tony was blushing. His shoulders had come up and his back sunk down, as if he could hide by making himself small enough. You'd never... Steve started, and Tony just sunk down even farther. Not with a dragon or a human? Dragons typically aren't interested in wingless shapes, Tony muttered, eyes lowered and blush growing dark enough that even the strange light couldn't disguise it, and most humans don't have much interest in dragons. Steve sat back on his heels, considering Tony's position with a practiced eye. It only took one tug to pull his hands out from under him and send him crashing back to the spread cloak with a surprised shout. He braced his arms on either side of Tony's head and then leaned down until their mouths barely touched while Tony was still too surprised to react. Then they don't know what they're missing, he murmured, tilting his head to deepen the kiss. Tony responded slowly, almost shyly. His tongue barely brushed against Steve's, and even that was only a ghost of a touch that matched the skin of his fingertips up Steve's back. Their bodies fell together, just pressure and presence enough to draw a groan from Steve's throat. The sound seemed to make Tony bolder. His nails dragged light lines across Steve's shoulder blades, just hard enough for pleasure. In answer, Steve dropped his weight more, fitting his hips against Tony's. They rocked together in slow, lazy movements. Pleasure didn't come with the sharp bite it usually did. It was a soft drag through Steve's veins, tugging him along without notice until his cock moved just the right way against Tony's hip to make him arch and gasp. He had the presence of mind to fumble for Tony's belt one-handedly, fighting the buckle and laces without bothering to look down at what he was doing. Tony had seemed to have the same idea. Their knuckles brushed as they groped together. When Steve finally won the battle and pulled Tony's cock out, it was comfortable weight hot in his hand, hot and hard, tips slick when he ran his thumb over it. He gave the shaft a tentative squeeze, watching the way it made Tony's face slacken in pleasure. The hand at his own waist hesitated, fingers going still, and Steve immediately took advantage of the moment to glide his fingers down Tony's shaft. Then Tony's damnably clever fingers figured out that Steve had buttons rather than laces. A second later, lightning flared behind Steve's eyes when Tony's hand closed around his cock. Calluses played hell on his nerves when they brushed under the head of his cock, a faint scrape down to his balls. The kiss faded to just the press of their mouths, together, sharing breaths, heart thudding like wing beats. Their hands worked together off pace, not quite in sync, but close. Steve watched Tony's face, marking out with a twist of his hand or well-timed pause earned the most reaction, drinking in the changes as they came. It was almost as good as the way Tony's fingers wrapped around him. Their hips rocked together as they climbed higher in that odd space of closeness that was building between them. Silence was broken by the crackle of the fire and the occasional moan, half-voiced names too soft to call a whisper. Tony lost control first, his head falling back and back arching as he spilled over Steve's hand, heels digging into the dirt. Through it, his hand on Steve's cock didn't falter. If anything, the grip turned more demanding, the touches more certain, as Tony watched him with lazy eyes. Steve fell over the edge soon after, a soft slide into pleasure that left him more shaken than mere sex ever had. Everything was too small, his clothes, his skin. He touched their foreheads together, breathing slowly. It felt like he was on the edge of a cliff, looking down into the sea, almost ready to jump, but not sure if there were rocks or warm water to catch him. 
Almost. He didn't care. That was more frightening than the not knowing. One day, he thought to himself. You've known him one day. As an excuse, it didn't feel like much. Red light made stark shadow across Tony's face. That's... He licked lips that were already stained with a trace of saliva. Was that normal? I... Steve swallowed and closed his eyes, turning his head to bury his nose in Tony's throat. He smelled like spices and metal, like something sharp. It wasn't a human smell, but it was strangely soothing. I don't think so, 